Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Comedian George Wallace is on the podcast today. You heard it right. One of Jerry Seinfeld's best friends. This guy has been in the comedy game for decades, and he has such an incredible story. He's a Las Vegas legend as well. This guy continues to perform, and nothing stops him. We caught up with him while he was in Atlanta, Georgia, at his house, hanging out with us, and he had me rolling in stitches the entire time. The fact that he was on the show just is mind-boggling that he chose to be a part of our show. We talk about his book and really this guy is a Twitter legend. He has so much to say and we just had a fun conversation. He was the absolute best and I'm very thankful that I was able to have him. People always ask me all the time, you know, how do you get these guests? How do you get these celebrities? And really at the end of the day, it's about digging the well before you're thirsty and building relationships. One of the many things that has helped me is Jordan Harbinger's six minute networking. Jordan Harbinger's six minute networking. You can just Google it. This is not a sponsored ad or a paid ad. He didn't tell me to promote it, but really it teaches you how to do that, to dig the well before you're thirsty, to build relationships and to connect with people on a level that's more than just contractual. I think it would benefit you, but George is the best. I think you're going to like it. This is a long one. We had a great time. And again, as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the podcast. Idly hey. Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Prepare to be astonished with Brett Allen. Dude, we are so gonna party. A pop culture podcast. <gasps> oh! At the Open Mic, no topic is off limits. Great Odin's Raven. Join in weekly as Brett interviews your favorite celebrities from film, television, sports, music, and much more. Plus, you never know who will stop by. The mystic portal awaits. Now here is your host, Brett Allen. Good morning. I'm so happy. I don't know whether it's morning or afternoon because, you know, I'm a Vegas guy, so I don't, I don't even have a sleeping schedule anymore, Brett. So I don't know what time it is. I go to bed when I want to go to bed. I just woke up, and I got to do some maintenance here because I got my glasses on. You ever notice sometimes people's glasses are dirty and you can't say anything? I'm going to try to do that. <laughs> or, or it might be my, my I'm going to go across the screen like that because I'm not coming to as clear as I'd like to. So I hope you see me well enough to, uh, to be able to uh, communicate with me. I do. Well, I'm in California, so we're pretty close on time zones. So uh, how wait, is- wait, 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 wait. Now, I said I'm a Las Vegas guy, but I'm in Atlanta. So oh, not, okay. You know, Las <laughs> See, Vegas I wasn't listening. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm closer to Florida, okay? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, next state to Florida. I don't know what's going on, but Georgia is catching up in stupidity, okay? Really? Oh, we're doing some stupid stuff down here, man. It's crazy. People walk around. They haven't heard of the uh, COVID in Georgia yet. People run around with, with, without masks, and it's crazy here. And uh, Really? So there's get... no restrictions there in Atlanta? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they are, but they <laughs> they don't read. They don't read. Uh, uh, people are, you see what happened in Florida the past weekend and uh, with the Super Bowl. It's like nothing going on, and, and it's pretty crazy in your state, too, in California. It's uh, terrible right now, and it's so interesting because our governor can't really decide what to do, and so now he's just kind of left it up to the individual counties and that sort of thing. So I am in the Bay Area County, so San Jose County, so I don't know. So, you know, it's really interesting, George, because 
it just fluctuates so much. Now, you obviously, you're a Vegas guy. You work there. You live there when you're performing. So I'm assuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong, once COVID hit and it all shut down, you went back home to Atlanta, right? That's what happened? Yes, uh, we shut down. I actually was doing a, a Netflix Net, Netflix show with Jamie Foxx's uh, series, okay. and uh, uh, we shut down on March 13th, and I decided to go back to Las Vegas for a few days, and then I, uh, um, for safety reasons, reasons at that time, we didn't know what was going on. So I said, you know, I don't want to kiss this virus. I didn't know what was going on, so I'm going to go back to my home in Atlanta. And I came back, I came here because my family is here in Atlanta, and it's also the home of the CDC. So my stupid ass thought, <laughs> listen, this is your story. I'm thinking if they can handle Ebola, they can handle the the, uh, the virus, right? Oh my I said, God. I'm gonna be, and I can look out of my window right now and actually see the CDC building. And I really thought that I said, at least I'd be closer to the CDC if they come up with a, uh, you know, with a, with a vaccine. And they do have a vaccine. And I got the vaccine two weeks ago and I got uh, one more week uh, uh, this Saturday, uh, I'm due for my uh, second shot, and I'm here in a big African-American city, and I'm just hoping uh, and, and, and trying to uh, energize the African-American community to get their shots. And uh, I'm, Brett, I'm just crazy here. I talk too much, and I, I'm, 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 my head is crazy because I also have a business, a business on the side. Oh, I'm really? Selling, I'm selling fake IDs for, uh, <laughs> uh, for, like, if your age, people your age, like in the 50s or 30s and the 60s. If I'm selling fake IDs for uh, for the COVID shot. If you need a fake ID, people. Well, I'm 46, to- so I mean, if you can hook me up, man, I guess yeah. you're the guy. I, it comes with a mask and makes you look like Keith Richards. It comes with a cane. <laughs> so it's fake <laughs> fake ID for young people. That's what I wanted to do, but now, Brett, I'm really considering maybe becoming a personal shopper. Like DoorDash or Postmates? No, no, like, like no, like uh, Kevin Hart's personal. This just happened today. Maybe you have yes. Oh my God! What a mess that is all about. So I called both my personal shoppers to my house today, and I instructed both of them: you both go to Dick's Sporting Goods, get a gun, <laughs> get one that you're comfortable with. Make sure you're comfortable with it. Your own. <laughs> I can't true. believe that. Like when I saw that story, I think Kevin is great, the best. But I swear, I feel like he has just had a rough run with that sort of stuff happening to him lately. You know, there was that, and then there was another incident that happened just a few months ago, you know. Yeah, so. and the wife and all the crazy stuff. You know, I'm teaching young comedians. Brett, are you a comedian? I'm teaching the young comedians to don't worry about being number one on the mountain. Just be on your way up the mountain. That's I've good advice. Fine. I've been around for 45. I've been doing comedy since 1883. So I, let me tell you, I teach the young comedians, everybody wants to be number one. You know, it's kind of like the airline. If you take too much luggage, they will charge you for the extra luggage because that's weight. And listen, it's okay to be number one. And I'm not saying don't want to be number one. Always strive to be the best. But sometimes when you get to the top, there's a lot of problems up there. And I don't care who you are uh, from um, Tiger Woods, great example. Richard Pryor, great example. Oprah catches hell. Uh, it doesn't matter who you can name a lot of people on the top of their game and and you're in the news my best friend Seinfeld you can't be yourself you can't walk out of the house because uh cameras are on you everywhere you go Anderson Cooper whatever you do they're watching every move you make so I'm teaching the young people you don't need to make all the money in the world 
Just make enough that you can live well and have some fun. Just be on your way up the mountain. Don't worry about being on top of the mountain. It's kind of like Dr. King says, I've been to the top of the mountain. Well, I changed it over. And I looked over and I seen, well, I really didn't see that much. So <laughs> you are so funny. And I have to tell you, so I had Alonzo Bowden on a couple months ago and we were talking about this, your late night comedy show that you guys did and that you mm. were one of the guests on there. And so I said to myself, I need to get George on the podcast because I've been a fan for a very long time and I've seen all this press that you've done. And, and my point is, is that I was thinking about it as I did research and everything you've never really had. And we talked about this with the other comedians, any sort of negative press that's been said about you other than somebody maybe just having a bad day, like no drugs, none of that crazy stuff, no money problems. Never any, I never did any drug ever. So but I, I want to ask you, let me, hit, let me hit on some wood, you know? Yeah, I know. Right. The one time, <laughs> yeah, right. The one always, time. Yeah, <laughs> that is great. Have you had somebody in your life that has kind of, when you started out early on, and I want to talk about this, but when you really first got your break, did you have mentors in your life that really helped you stay out of trouble? And like you mentor comedians now, did you have somebody like that, that you worked with or still work with maybe? No, let me tell you what I had. I grew up in a place called Linwood Park, a little black community in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm one mile away from Linwood Park right now. I grew up in a neighborhood, you know, you heard of a, a village raising a kid? Yes. I grew up in a village. I grew up with parents, two parents in the home, my mom and my daddy. And I'm not going to say they were child abusers, but I'm going to say if we had child abuse laws back then, my mama would probably be getting out of jail about right now, yeah. about this time. Mm -hmm. But I'm not saying uh, we were disciplined very well and taught to do the right things had the great parents. And, and when you're taught to do the right thing, right and wrong, you can't go wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a Christian kid. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And just, that's why I think I can, I might be able to be a great politician. I might be too old, but just do the right thing. What's right and wrong. Help the people. Don't get involved in all of this political BS and and, and as you can see, most of the people in Washington, D.C. are in it for money. And that's why I like the new young kids that are coming up to Joe, uh, the uh, John Ossoffs and the, the Warnoff, these people that really are interested in people as opposed to uh, money. And I, I might say this wrong, so I'm going to try to say it right. And the problem with America is too many rich old white men. OK, and uh, I would agree with that. Thing. I think okay. that's fair. And, you know. I, I I don't mean there's some good ones up there, but I think that um, you know, most of them are in it. They may not be rich when they go in, but they are certainly rich when they come out. And there's always some money connections, all of them. So it doesn't. So I think maybe we should have some term limits. And uh, because I just I don't even know how I got into this. Just do the right thing. OK, yeah. so me mentoring young kids now is just telling people to make sure you enjoy your life and make sure don't worry about what other people are doing. There's a different path for each career. Um, uh, be you, be honest to you. Uh, you don't have to make all the money in the world. As I said before, there's enough money out there for you, whatever you like. You know, Sam Kennison was horrible when he started coming. But what did he do? He kept being horrible. And then he got himself a horrible following. Interesting how those two connect with each other. I, 
I want to ask you, there's so many things that I want to talk about. When I said horrible, I didn't mean horrible in a bad way. I meant he found his market. Okay. He did. Yeah. That was kind of how he sort of became who he was. And I think even later on in life, he was very transparent about some of the choices that he made early on in his career. And, you know, that documentary that came out on one of the streaming channels, the comedy store, where they're telling stories of people and all of that, you know, obviously if he were still living, he would probably have a lot to say, but it's interesting. The, the, The theme of this conversation is so, I think, timely because you have been in the comedy game for decades and you've told the story hundreds of times. You knew at a young age that you wanted to do comedy, but you also grew up in a strong family. You went to college, you got your degrees. And then there's this time gap where all of a sudden you get a writing job on the Red Fox (laughs) show. So if you could share with us a little bit about like sort of Obviously, it was not a, a an instant success for you. You had a slow burn, and then you became huge. So, like, what 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 happened in between there? <laughs> as far as like, from when you graduated school and went into writing for Red Fox Show, which is a big deal, and then doing stand up. And I'm going to correct you with the slow burn. I never had a slow moment in my life. I've been so blessed since I was yes, uh, yes, since I was six years old, coming through a family and going to college and. And I left, my mom died when I was 16. That was a big blow. And when she walked out of the house, she said, baby, I'm going to the hospital. I will not be back, but don't you worry about a thing in life. Your life has been taken care of. So being a 16 year old boy, you think, mom, mom going to the hospital, she'll be back like everybody else. So she didn't come back. So I leave and I uh, go to Ohio, Akron, Ohio to live with my sister. Have you ever lived with a sibling? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's oh, that's he, interesting. He said, you said, Brett said, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can see the look on my face. Yeah, I have. <laughs> so that worked out so, so. And we're still, we, my sister and I, we became best friends. But living together, oh, God. And she was older than me, so she thought she was my mother, telling me what to do. And when you were at 17, you can't tell me nothing. Remember when you were 17 and 18? You can't tell me nothing. I know everything. My first quarter in college, so I got out. And then I met another family and I went into their homes. Mr. and Mrs. Hill, they considered me their kid. I became one of their kids. I went to college. I was a dorm counselor in the University of Akron after one quarter. Now, what are you supposed to be? Before you become a, a dorm, uh, an RA, you got to be in your third year of college. I was blessed after one quarter. Where'd that come from? That was a blessing. I have three degrees. And Brett, I may have paid $4,000 for, for those uh, money came in from all kinds of places. So I studied. I wanted to be a comedian since six years old, but I said, I want to go to college and have something to fall back on. Because when I grew up, I had my Johnny Carson, my Red Fox, my Red Skelton, my, uh, uh, not necessarily Rodney Dangerfield, but moms, maybe a lot of older comedians saying they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Well, I didn't want to do that. So I finished college and I went to New York City and I read the New York Times. Back in the day, if you wanted a job, you would read a section of the paper called the want, want ads. Mm-hmm. And I saw an ad that says, uh, uh, said uh, 75 to $300 a day. And I checked it out and I called a man and I, we had an interview and it was selling rags, real rags. You ever been to an auto shop where they yeah, take the yeah. old rags? And the, everybody needs a rag. You'd be, you'd need a rag. You'd be surprised. I had to go back to Akron, Ohio, a company called Cleveland Cotton Products. I sold the ShamWow products back in 1971. It wow. was just a blue, a blue cloth with no name. 
And I sold one of my big sales. The first time I made $3,500 in a day, I sold to Earl, Earl Scheib. You might remember Earl Scheib used to be an auto painting shop, blah, 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 blah. So I made so much money in, uh, in that day in New York City. So Earl Scheib decided they wanted to go nationwide with this reusable product as a ShamWow because you could wash it and reuse it again. And But that was so much money, the company in Cleveland took the account away from me because I was making 15 cents on every dollar. Too much so, money for their taste, it seems like. That seems like it was. I just what happened <laughs> to my what happened to my account? Well, something happened. They took me off their account because that was just nothing but money. You know, can you imagine if I make $35, $3,500 in one day just in Brooklyn, New York, how much money I would have been making all and so I would have been as making as much money as the president. But in any case, I was making a lot of money selling rags. I sold rags to the, all of the bus companies in New York City, New York City bus transit system. And I found out somebody was making like uh I only sold rags for like uh, uh, 10 months and I was making like $35,000, $40,000. This is back in the 70s. That was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Then I heard somebody was making $75,000 selling uh, advertising on buses in New York. So that's when I get back to New York, I, uh, I was talking to a friend at Ammonia Square in uh, Athens, Greece. When I get back, I'm going to sell advertising on buses because they're already my customer. And I went in and I took the job. So I was making seventy-five, dollars $76,000 with advertising all the 5,000 buses in New York City, everything at Times Square, the, the spectacular is the billboards at Times Square right now. I was vice president. I became vice president of that company. So in 1976, I was selling ads. I said, let me go into this comic strip, comedy club in New York. I want to put them on the back of every bus in New York City. Sure enough, I talked to Rich Tinkin, Richard Tinkin used to be Eddie Murphy's manager, into going on back of the buses. So you go up and down the street, the comic strip, eat, drink, and laugh at the comic strip. And I said, and by the way, I have a little comedy act. Uh, and they said, well, come back in and show us what you do. I went in on Thursday night audition. And I basically have been on stage every night since then. Wow. Every night since then. And then I went, to, I did that for six months in New York City. And I became so good. You know, when you're getting standing ovations every night, you need to move to another level. I thought, okay, I need to go to where the big boys are and get on the bottom of the tier again. So I went to California, went out there and I'm having fun on stage. And I did the, um, Comedy Store Audition, and I ripped that place apart, and I came off. You know, you're a little young kid. You don't know what you do. You go, I went to Mitzi Shore, and I said, uh, uh, I'm George. I, I was just on stage uh, just checking in and said, how I do. Well, you're not right for my club. You can't work for me. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. That's the blow, though. That was a big blow. I'm going, wait a second. I've been accepted everywhere. I came to, you know, uh, I've been doing, I just killed. I just, this is. And I was so hurt, but I'm so stupid. That was on a Monday night audition. I said, I can't work a club. Damn, I come out here. This is the place to be. So I said, F it. I called in anyways to get spots. <laughs> Even though so, you hadn't been passed by Mitzi, you still did it. Brett, the lady told me in my face, I cannot work for her. I'm not right for her club. I said, F it. I'm calling in anyways. And just left my name. And I called the next day for spots. I had five spots. Wow. And I said, yes, yeah, she's crazy. You know, because the word was out that she was crazy. The lady just told me last night, I can't work for her. Apparently she had me mixed up. With, I don't know what it was, but she gave me five spots. And I was working every night since then. And then not only that, I went over to the improv. You, at the day, you can work at both clubs. But I was, a, uh, I'm a decent person. I don't play games. I just want to do comedy. So I worked at improv and the comedy store, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and then they saw me on stage one night at the, at the uh, company store. 
And they said, we'd like for you to write the Red Fox show. I said, I'm not into writing. I never did this before. I'm just, hell, I don't even know what I'm doing myself right now. Even at that time, I was doing a character. I was in a big robe because I was out of the South. All I knew was make fun of the preacher at the church. I had a big robe called Reverend, uh, jo Reverend George Wallace. And I had, um, you're not old enough to remember this, but they used to have a yellow page phone book. I remember that vaguely when I was little, my mom used to have those laying around the house. Well, she had no choice. They sent them every six months. Yeah, we would have them piled thing. up on the porch. <laughs> and so my character was the Reverend George Wallace. And I had a, the big, thick yellow book that was called the Good Book of Bell. That was my Bible. Whatever you want, look it up in the book. I think I should bring the character back and just because, you know, uh, and use the book because everything is in the yellow pages that you might want to do. And I could get some jokes. Left. In any case, it could be a good five, 10 minute bit. But I did that. I wrote the Red Fox show for a year. It was not sampling and something because I never knew. First of all, I never knew uh, uh, because I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and we were really poor. And when, in my neighborhood, we never knew uh, there was a son. All we could watch was Sanford. And uh, now that's just that's going into one of my tweets. Okay. <laughs> We'll get to those at the end here because you are definitely known for your tweets. I well, love it. <laughs> yeah. So, but in any case, I wrote the Red Fox show, and the next thing you know, you're thinking like, "Damn, he's doing the jokes, but he's not doing them right." So I said, well, "Let me do my own jokes." So after a year, I went back into stand up, and all. I never wanted to do television. I never knew anything about television and or movies. I just wanted to be a working comedian, and uh, and I knew about Las Vegas, and that's where I wanted to go. And even my best friend uh, Seinfeld and I, as we were growing up, we heard that there were there were comedians in Las Vegas, uh, Don Rickles, Shaggy Green, a lot. They were making $300,000, $400,000 a year. That's all I, I Brett, do you hear what I said? That was back in the 77, 78, $300,000, $400,000. Who the hell wants, I never even, I never thought about money. I always knew I was going to make money, but $300,000 was enough and still is enough if you're just having fun. And all I do, I don't, it's not a, well, it is a 24-hour job, 365, 24-7. It is, but. Yeah. All I do is lie. I just make up shit. I just lie. I just, I well, love lying. I, I have to tell it. you, George, you have had just a career that spans. You've just done a lot and just instant success. You've, you, I appreciate you clarifying the fact that you were doing comedy before you started writing for the Red Fox show. And then you didn't, you know, that was fun. And then you heard about that and, Seinfeld and making the money. And so really you kind of went about it in a way that there was a clear path clearly, and you knew what you wanted. But I guess my question was the eighties comedy boom. I hear a lot about that. Everybody going out to LA and essentially I was talking to Bill Ingvall a couple of days ago and he was telling me, you know, one of his regrets was not going out to LA soon enough because really at that time they were giving out sitcoms to everybody pretty much you did the clubs and then you either went on Carson or one of those talk shows. And then from there, the phone would ring and you would have essentially, you know, a sitcom at your doorstep. <laughs> you actually said it right. I often said, had I came and got in the company two years earlier, you never would have heard of Jimmy J.J. Walker. Ain't no way in hell he would have beat me out of that role. I was a little skinny guy and I, I think I was. You know, my head is big. I think I want to beat him out of that job, okay? But uh, everything happens at the right time. It was not an instant success for me. And you need to know this. Let me explain something to you right now. I'm still working. You I'm are? Still, uh, no, I'm still new. Really? So In what regard? Well, I hear you say that a lot. 
I'm learning how to do this. Like I love hanging around young comedians and okay. I'm looking at younger comedians. I'm going like, oh my God, I'm looking at Kathleen Madigan. I don't know whether you want to call her young or not, JB Smooth. I don't know whether you call him young or not, but I'm looking at uh, uh, DC Young Blood, all these young comedians kicking ass, Kevin Hart, all these young kids. And I'm looking at them and going like, oh my God, I got some work to do. And especially the new ones coming up, a new style coming in and what they're doing. And I do tours with Mike Epps and, and all of these comedians. And I'll be kicking ass, too. Let's make it perfectly clear. They may be oh, young. And yeah, I mean, you have, you have seamlessly weaved in and out of all of these eras of comedy. It's funny. Even Alonzo Bowden said the same thing. You know, he's like, well, you know, I missed a comedy boom, but I've still had a great career. And not to mention the fact that, you know, you're you get a job where he described it as a, a lifetime lottery job. You have a one in a million chance. You make it. You have a good life. And he was more concerned about being funny and telling good jokes than, you know, being a hangout guy at the comedy store and meeting, you know, Bill Burr, as he put it. And that's a direct quote. So for him, it was more about, you know, just being able to work and be just being in community. the business, just being involved, just being yeah, around. Yeah. And you couldn't ask a better guy. You know, that's one of my favorite comedians, Alonzo. I love Alonzo. So smart. And I try to push him everywhere I go. You know, we do a show on Thursday night called Live with Sybil Wolves. I bring him on because I want to. I did a radio show for so many years with Tom Joyner. And Alonzo is right in the middle there. He's about maybe 15 years younger than me, but some of the older people need to know about him and how smart he is. And I'm introducing him to those people and they love him. They love him. He's the and best. that voice, the voice alone is crazy. He is so smart. He's so quick and he's just such a great guy. And so, but he's still new. I'm still new. You will always be new as long as you watch, um, uh, MSNBC uh, <laughs> uh, and CNN, you will always be new. That's the difference in a, a good comedian and a, and a bad comedian. You got to keep up with new jokes, new times, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And even in your live show, which I have not had the opportunity to see, I've never even been to Vegas. I know that sounds weird. People tell me. You haven't like, been to Las Vegas ever? And you live in Los Angeles? Uh, yeah. Are, it's, are you broke? <laughs> no. It's, I know. See, you're the same thing. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> It's kind of like people saying, you know, they say to me, you've never been to Hawaii before. I know I need to get Stop out. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> Listen to me, Brett, you're talking to the wrong guy. I apologize. My first degree is in transportation. If there's one thing <laughs> I believe in, if there's one thing I believe in, it's travel. You've oh, no, trust travel. me. I, I, I get it. I So here's the deal. Not making excuses. I feel like now I'm sitting in the front row at one of your shows and now I'm I'm in that. <laughs> space of getting heckled <laughs> for answering a question you're getting heckled from me i'm heckling you right i would yeah. rather if there's anybody that could heckle me george I, it could be you <laughs> so I, I i do have a six-year-old and we were planning on taking some trips and then covid hit so there's a legoland hotel there i guess and that was kind of what we were going to do and legoland, then right across the street from me here in atlanta right that you can be over there in five minutes you want to come yeah, here? yeah let's do it let's do it and I don't even know what Legoland is. I know there's something. Maybe it's, it's a thing park It's a six-year-old's dream, apparently. Okay. And uh, my kid tells me every day that he wants to go there. But do that. Do that. I, I was reading as as doing research that even when you were doing your residency and your other show, that you your shows change up every night, like or every set is different, right? Because you just are always, you know, 
as your hat says, I'd be thinking you're just kind of keeping things fresh and new. So when you're doing that, are you doing material that you have already pre-written or is this something that is just essentially off the cuff and you're, you're testing out material for let's say a special or an album, or you're just being you and performing? Whatever you said, yes to all of those. Okay. It's a combination of all of those. I love uh, it. My show is different every night because I don't know what's happening. I don't know who's coming in late every night. I don't know what's going on. You know, I, I do shows like um, somebody coming in late. I go, now, if you guys think I'm not going to talk about you for walking in here late, you got to be crazy. Why are you late? Where, <laughs> you, where are you from? And they will say something like they're from Dubai. Oh, I was in Dubai yesterday. And no matter where you're from, I was there yesterday. And then I'm talking on the show. You know, I was in Cleveland yesterday. And after about 15 minutes into the show, people will start going, didn't he just say he was in New Orleans yesterday? Didn't he just say he was in Hawaii yesterday? And then and, and after a while, people start, you know, I, I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And they'll go, yesterday, you saw me? But basically, we were <laughs> talking about traveling. I have been everywhere. And so I love traveling. I've been everywhere. Basically, I can give you a location that you can relate to, uh, one of the better restaurants. From Shanghai to uh, Singapore to um, Macau to Kyrgyzstan to Istanbul to, of course, London, England. I've been everywhere. So that's why the show is different. Uh, I don't know what it's called, crowd work or what, but I talk to people. You know what it's like? It's not a show. It's like a family event. Uh, it's we an get experience. Together. It's an experience, yeah. And things happen. I think one of the greatest things that ever happened to me uh, in my personality um, that one night at, at uh, the Flamingo in Las Vegas, sold out house, 800 people, and a lady did come in late. And I said, why, look, what the hell? And she was blind, oh, a no. blind lady. I said, who the hell, why the hell are you walking up in here late? You got somebody leading, guide your ass around here, you walking in here late. I said that to the blind lady. Then I said to her, look at all these other people in this room that got here. Oh boy. <laughs> look, hey. Listen to me. This the the place was rolling. I'm I sure. said, "You got somebody leading, guide your ass." It was done in the right way and in the right taste. And I tell everybody, I will never. You know, I'll talk about you like a dog, but I will never embarrass you because you pay my bills. I'm talking about this like blind that. lady. I'm talking to this blind lady, and she said she's standing in the middle. She still hasn't didn't sit down yet. She's down like the night. She's just just pointing at me, and I said, "And you ain't that damn blind because you pointing straight at me." You know, so in any case, so I say when I talk to somebody later, I says, you're late. You can't be disturbing everybody. Just go ahead and sit in that booth right there. I have my personal booth for people to come in. They're coming in late. I said, just sit in there and uh, just sit in that booth right there. Since we, we, we thank you for coming to the show. Take my booth. God bless you. Enjoy the show. Then I'll say, waiter, take her that booth. Get them anything they want to share. You know, they, one drink, you know, if you want to, you know. Then I said, I said, you know what, it's so much fun. As they said, I said, what are you drinking? They said, we'll have a bottle of water. Not not in here. I bet, damn, if I'm paying $10 for a bottle of water, you better get you some whiskey. You take your ass across the street. I'm not paying $10 for no bottle of water, okay? So my show is the experience and having fun and staying relevant and watching the news. I'm running for every every four years, I run for president like everybody else. Uh, uh, What's going on in the city, just uh, the experience of coming to Las Vegas, the whole world is crazy. It's all a lie. Everything is a lie. That's my job is right now. Uh, I wrote a joke. I don't know how I'm going to make this funny now because I did the joke last month. It was about I'm trying to Yelp 
Santa Claus, the services of Santa Claus, you know, because <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't too happy with his services. Uh, Santa Claus came to, on my balcony. And I heard the noise out there. And I went, what the hell is going on? You know, late Christmas night, all these noise going out. There. And I looked out and it was Santa Claus out there with the rain deals and everything and the, and this, and the sleigh. And, uh, and I'm just going, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I opened the door and he was dropping off gifts. That's nice. But he dropped off a gift for my daughter. And I'm going, don't be dropping shit off over here. For, don't you? That's your job to drop off stuff. You know where she lived. Drop it off over there. So I'm complaining to Yep about a Santa service. You should, you should be dropping off things over here for me to drop off. That's your job. You know? So I'm trying to make stuff like that funny. It may not make any sense, but it doesn't bother me. And people just share it. I try to, you know what? It's, I, I just try to do funny shit. Like, Right now, maybe I'm old, but I just went to the grocery store the other day while I was online. This is a, a, a fragrance, an aftershave called Aqua Velva. It's for old men. Like, it's older than, than Old Spice. It's only $3.46 a bottle. <laughs> My dad I used said, to use that when he was living. Yeah, I know exactly all about that. I still like the fragrance, and then, so I had to buy it. Mm, let me put a little bit on for you right now. It's such a great fragrance. It's one of those. <laughs> so I'm just sitting around doing stupid stuff like that, talking about what's going on in America. And uh, it keeps me up to date. You know, we got, if you can't laugh now, uh, we got a new president. So I'm all into that. And uh, I got Biden in and I love me some Biden. I like him, but I, sometimes I don't like him because sure. um, he's, uh, sometimes I don't like him because he's been all presidential and stuff, you know, that, that's, ain't, that, that's good, but it ain't funny. He's presidential. He's coming in and with using four letter words like plan. When the last time in the last four years, we never heard the word plan. No. no that's, that's, you know, it's good, but you, it ain't funny. It ain't yeah, funny. yeah. A lot of comedians have said, you know, like they, especially the ones that are more politically inclined. Yes. You know, like the Bill Mars and the Lewis Blacks, you know, legends like yourself who base a lot of their comedy on politics. And now they're kind of like, even Alonzo was saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to have to start thinking of some other things, you know, because, but eventually, as he mentioned, give somebody enough time, you know, and then you'll have yeah, something yeah, to talk yeah. about. But so then you can talk about it in opposite direction in the way I'm going now, like talking about his COVID team. You know, Joe Biden walks in here with doctors and scientists and people from the infectious disease committee walking in with all these professionals and, 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 and he has a plan. He didn't walk in with family members and some guy from mypillow.com for his. <laughs> you know. So you have to go that direction. And I woke up this morning and I thought, okay, I can't fight Trump anymore. By the way, we need to have a garage sale too, because I got all these Trump jokes laying around. I got to get rid of them. So, <laughs> so. But I just, ah, oh, now I'm going to go off on um, uh, Lindsey Graham and Jim Jordan because they talk a lot of crap too. So I said, you know, I just go off on them. These, and these hateful people, why are people mean? Brett, I don't know. I get it. Yeah, it, it it makes perfect sense. You know, I just as I sit here and we talk and you're just telling all of these great stories. Uh, it, it I really hope that that this all ends soon. I want to ask you. You're in Atlanta now. We mentioned that early on in our conversation. Oh, I should be wearing Georgia blue. I'm sorry. I That's okay. Are you going to go back to Vegas eventually? When you know, can? Yes, I'm going to go back to Vegas. I'm going to go. I got to. I have a real good situation. You're talking about um, um, instant success. I'm just getting ready to go to work. I have a deal with the great Norman Lear, believe it or not. 98, 97 years old Norman Lear. Wow. George Wallace and Laverne Cox. So I wanted to go back and do another Sanford and Son, but this time it's going to be Wallace and Daughter. 
Really? Same story. Same story and he loved it. I'm one of the few people that Norman Lear has worked with as a new producer, executive partner in many years. And we've known each other for a long time. And uh, I basically wanted to do Simon and Son. He says, no, hell no. Do you. So you do anything. And when we go to the meetings, guess what? He's at every meeting with every uh, yeah, executive, studio exec with his hat on. And so when you walk in with Norman Lear, it's not just a guy you need to talk to. Everybody wants to come down and sit in the meeting. So Norman Lear, we walk in and we pitch the idea and he says to the people, well, we got a deal or not. He just flat out asks them like that. Wow. And he gets it done. So that's how good he is. He's still sharp as hell. He's so sharp. We were doing a reading and I, I don't like to read uh, my, my comical as a comedian. I just like to do shit and get the part out as nice and keeping the, uh, the point of the story and just have fun with it. And he's like me. And even one of the guys said, don't read it like that. Just do you. And we did it. And we got to a point and normally I says, go ahead and say fuck. You know, because we're just in the meeting. What the fuck? So, you know, and that just brought everything together, you know. And I was surprised he's in, he's up to date. He knows what's going on to sell a show. And so just think Laverne Cox and I'm the daddy. And people are going to learn a lot about live and let live. And uh, we're going to try to educate America, not only about her transgender, but it could be for many a reason that people left home at 16 and 17 to go to New York and go to Los Angeles to become who they are. It might, it might be a drug problem. It could be anything, but we're going to try to help you and help America understand. Like we're going to take the, the transgender into the black church, which is the worst place to ever go. But they got to learn to learn how to love and accept people. Yeah. So, and it's all about live, letting live as long as you're not hurting anybody. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to Las Vegas. My name is still on the marquee. Big as hell up there on the biggest marquee, yeah. one of the biggest marquees in Las Vegas. Uh, I love it. But I don't I... want to go back too soon, Brett. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry to go back too soon. I have um, at least a thousand. I got them. I got my Yeah, mask. I mean, you're in a good situation now. So I'm guessing I have a couple more questions here as we wrap. Yeah, because I... I don't have 30 minutes. I, I don't, I, 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 matter of fact, I get a lot because I don't have 30 minutes of time to talk. I don't. I don't know how we're going to fill 30 minutes. Okay. So, <laughs> well, we're at a little over 40 minutes. I love it. I think Are it's you great. Stupid? Oh my God. I guess I do talk. No, <laughs> I, this has been one of the best conversations. So, you're going to you go not, back. You are wrong. I'm supposed to be talking about this book, Bull Twit. That's what Let's I'm talking about. Let's talk about the book, Bull Twit. Talk about the book. Your publicist said, make sure we cover that. And then we can call it a wrap. If people, Follow you on Twitter. They know that you are just the best. Let's talk about your book and what that's about and how people could get it, George. The book, you can get, let's start off that way. The book is called Bull Twit and Whatnot. Bull Twit and Whatnot. My mind is so screwed up. I wanted to say because for me, it was all bulls and I didn't, uh, uh, I said, well, let's make it Bull Twit and Whatnot uh, because I'm an older guy. Most people my age would never get into this tweeting. And, and right now, I'm a little lazy. I'm a procrastinator. I should be well into Instagram. I should be well into TikTok. What I did with you today, I could have chopped this up into 10 TikTok, but I'm too it. stupid. I'm too stupid to have done that. So, but I wrote the book. I said, why should I give away jokes for free? Then I thought about it and I learned more about it. There's 500 million tweets per day. People that never would see George Wallace, I even know George Wallace. They're not going to be able to come to Las Vegas and see me. So I said, you know what, let's do it. I did it. And I'm so proud I did it today because I got so many people following me now. I'm up at uh, almost close to a million followers. And it's uh, 
amazing what I do because it's online ramblings out of my head. Me and my team, my assistants in my office, me trying to break my jokes, my 30 minute jokes down into 140 or 280 characters. Uh, they help me do it and then we get it done. But I'm glad I did it. And this little just ramblings in my head makes no sense whatsoever until you get into the flow of things. Did we send you a book by any chance? No, but I can reach out to your publicist and tell her that I would like one or I can buy one and just support your. Oh, you just hit the magic where you can buy one. I'll just buy one. And we will actually, when this goes live, we will put links in our show notes so people can buy the book. We'll we'll make sure you get a book. Okay. And the book, you go to georgewallace.com, georgewallace.net. This time I'd be thinking I tried to, my first book was called Laugh It Off. This time I said, you know what? Amazon takes happy products. You know that, you know, that's why they're making so much money. Right. Right. So I decided come straight to me, georgewallace.net, georgewallace.com. We're going to give it a shot. My fulfillment center is in Las Vegas. And we're already into our second printing. So wow. these tweets are my online ramblings coming from my head. They're stupid uh, uh, thoughts coming from my head. How poor I was growing up. Like I said, uh, things I, I'll straight up do. Like I'll just stupid thoughts. I'll eat cupcakes out of a pan and pancakes out of a cup. I don't care. I don't play by the rules. <laughs> stupid things I do. Uh, I'll just straight up, you know, I'll, I'll listen to the pet shop boys. Uh, uh, on the back street, and I listen to the back street, back street boys while I'm in a pet shop. I don't give a damn. I don't play by the damn rules, okay? You never I'll have. My, yeah, I'll, I never I have never played by the rules. I'll pick my teeth with an ice pick. Then again, I'll pick ice with a toothpick. I don't give a damn. So we talk about little things like that, and we just have fun uh, in the book. And But my jokes are not, they're funny, but the replies, really funny. The replies, like I had a shout out to the top five bells in the world. I tr- the top five bells in the world. Shout out to Liberty Bell, uh, Saved by the Bell, Tinker <laughs> Bell, Cow Bell, Jinga Bell, and whatnot. And you know what my replies were? Oh my God. Somebody said, I guess Taco gets no love, huh? I'm like, oh my God. And then all of a sudden, hit me, what about Bell Bottoms? Then it went crazy. They said, Mr. Wallace, you are so dumb, Bell. And so the answers, the replies are just beautiful. So my next book that's coming up will be called More Bull Twit and whatnot with some of the replies uh, attached with my saying. It's just so cool. Shout out to the top five bulls in the world. Shout out to just top five um, Bretts. So I got to come up with the top five Bretts in the world. Okay. There you go. George Brett, Brett Michaels. I don't know. There's two. So <laughs> that was a professional wrestler named Brett something, wasn't it? Brett Hart? Brett the Hitman Hart. So there's oh, three. That, see, there you go. Brett uh-huh. Allen, the podcaster, which oh. I'm a nobody compared to those guys. But <laughs> but at the end, it would be you. So uh, <laughs> love it. And then, but what's so good about it, other people will come up with the answers. You don't have to reply. It's going to be Brett. And then they can just combine Brett with something, you know, other words. Uh, in any case, it's a lot of fun doing it. Yes. Yes. Well, I would love to have you back again. I think you are just the best, George. You've been so kind and gracious with your time. Again, we will link uh, the show notes. We will link the the book and Look, all the other resources we've mentioned. And You need to have me back, Brett. You know why? Why? Because you did nothing today. You talked about nothing. We, t- we did absolutely, we accomplished nothing today. <laughs> Brett, how, how much more? We've got so much to talk about the times that are going on. Where I come I from, where you come from, just sharing life with traveling with you. I need to learn more about your travel, you and your family. You learn more about me, but you need to know that I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate, um, I ain't got no job. So I, 
I have I'll no talk job. To anybody <laughs> like myself. I'll talk to anybody, but uh, this has been fun. And I always like to close the show with it. Thank you so much. I love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Thank you very much, George, for being with me today. I appreciate it. You should appreciate it. And I'm serious too. You better, you got to call back because it's some bullshit. You call here for 30 minutes. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.